So he, he just has to go back to old material. But with the new guy, right? New stories, new material, right? So uh, I want y'all to, to imagine uh, th this, this person before you in small form. Wee little Zach when he was a kid, okay? And uh, I, whenever I was a child, I was very much involved and followed the life and times of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And uh, for those of y'all who may not be familiar with their work, what the, <laughs> what the turtles did, or, or what they were, were they were an elite crime-fighting force of mutated turtles who had been trained kung fu by a mutated rat. And this is the premise. This is the, the whole goal. So they, there was four of them, and they had Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo, which you don't realize as a kid, but those were all like Renaissance people. So... I don't know why they did that, but, uh, and they had their own color, each had their own weapon and headband. So me and my brother, we, we loved them as kids, and so we would play fight, and we all, we each had our own person. I think I liked Leonardo the best, I don't know why, but uh, anyway. So this one time, uh, my brother and I are at this playground, which is of course very child safe. Uh, in that half of it is made of concrete pillars that you're supposed to climb on, rough, you know, that if you brush your face against, you, you're going to bleed for the rest of the day. And so inadvertently, I mean, unavoidably, I'm trying to follow my brother, and sure enough, I slip, I fall, bust my head open, blood is gushing, it's covering my face, I run to my parents, and they're like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? I forgot to warn you it'd be an R-rated story. Um, and so we, we go to the hospital, right? We're, we're, we're flying. I need to get stitches. And uh, I had to pick one parent, and I, I chose my dad. So my mom's out in the waiting room. And, uh, you know, hours go by, and she's fret, fretting and, and praying, Lord, don't make him more confused than he already is. And uh, we don't want any brain damage. And so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow, all right. Uh, sure enough, the, the hospital doors burst open, and out I pop a Ninja Turtles because I got a bandana around my forehead, you know. And uh, so maybe whenever you were a kid, you didn't pretend to be a Ninja Turtle. Maybe you pretended to be like, you know, cowboys and Indians or robbers and uh, cops, cops and robbers. Or for the girls, like princesses, or like plated house, these kinds of things. I think for uh, Michelle, it was Xena the warrior princess. It's, un it's unconfirmed, uh, but may maybe that's what she thought. But we, as children, like, you know, they, they play, they pretend, they, they put on this identity, and then they can be and do whatever you, whatever you want. And it's fine whenever you're, you're children, right? But once you're an adult, uh, it, it gets a little creepy. Unless you call it acting, Right? When you're acting, you can portray whatever you want. And uh, the whole goal is to take on this new identity, this new character, and you change your mannerisms, you change your voice, you change what you say, what you do, all these things, in order to depict something, someone, some, something. Uh, and I think that people, in general, as a, as a race, they do this because they like to escape from their reality. Uh, so whenever they are acting like something, right, then they can make war without being in a war, right? They can pretend to be royalty and, and sip tea all day and <coughs> pretend like there's hundreds of men that want to marry them uh, without actually being in a royal family. You can pretend that you have a third arm. Uh, you can pretend that you have one arm and, and what that would be like. Or if you're a parent, you can pretend like you don't have any children. Uh, for that, that brief moment of respite uh, within your day. 
And so we do these things, we have a desire to do these things, and I think that we do because the actual world, the real world, is hard a lot of times. Uh, maybe it's not as exciting as you thought it would be. Maybe these other worlds are a lot more interesting than yours is. Maybe you're joining in this, this massive quest of people because yours isn't as meaningful uh, as this group of people that's on a, on a mission to save the world. Maybe yours isn't as powerful. Maybe you think that your life story wouldn't be worth reading. Uh, and in fact, there's this whole industry that's built around this concept, uh, a multi-trillion dollar industry, TV, movies, books, video games, fantasy games, all designed to introduce you to a new reality that has new experiences and new opportunities. Uh, and I mean, the, the commercial industry uh, has taken hold of this. And I think it's because they recognized that how we view our identity and our role in the world around us does a great deal to affect our thoughts and our actions. And the most obvious example of this to me is uh, the, the fashion industry, right? So from the time that, that women are this big, uh, they are, if they're ever that big, they are shown pictures of women that are in the 0.001% of women physique in this clothes. So that subconsciously or consciously, they are convinced that if they buy that clothes and wear that clothes, that they'll be that much closer to being like that woman. That they'll be that much closer to being uh, beautiful, to being respected by their peers, to having a fun life, to taking on that, that identity of what they want to be. And it's just, it's just not true. And even though they know it's not true, it's almost impossible to, to ignore that leaning, to ignore that pull that had been pushed on, pushed on us. Uh, maybe a less obtuse one is fathers. I feel like fathers are, are told that if they want to be a good father, what they have to do is provide the best stuff for their family. Whatever that stuff might be, if you're not providing the best stuff, then you're not being a good father. When what usually ends up happening is they work so hard to make enough money to provide the good stuff that they're not there and they stop being a good father. Uh, and these are, these are things that, that we are pulled towards from the time that we're born. And as Christians, and a quick side note on the, on the term Christians, right? What it came from was that the world saw this group of people that were acting and teaching so much like Jesus Christ that they said, well, they're these little Christians running around. We, or they're these little Christs running around. Let's just call them Christians because that's what they're acting like. So as Christians, by the very nature of the title itself, we need to be assuming the identity and the role that Jesus has for us, his mission, his ministry, and letting that shape us and the world around us, how we view it. Uh, our text for the day is going to come from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to turn there. Uh, we're, taking out of, we're getting out of Acts. Uh, it's a standalone. Um, bless you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through chapter 6, verse 2. Let's start reading. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God, or God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be no sin, who, uh, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I have listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, there are a few verses in here that I, I really want to highlight. Uh, because they, there's so much in there that's, that's very potent, very powerful. Uh, but there's a couple that I want to highlight. So I'm going to read them again. Uh, verse 15 is the first one, if you want to follow along. And he died for all that those who might... I'm sorry. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who for their sake died and was raised. Uh, this to me is very clear. Uh, like, there's, there's not a whole lot of, of unpacking that, that needs to be done. It, to me, it, it's, it's simply that if you find yourself as a follower of Christ, all right, if you have accepted his death for you, all right, you therefore live for him. Um, and I'm just, I'm just saying what the text says. I'm sure that that concept is a lot deeper. But this is, it's very plain here that whenever you, you take on Christ and what he has for your life, you now live for him. It's a changed life. Uh, verse 17, if you follow along. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, what we have very early on, and we're going to continue to talk about this, is that whenever you become a Christian, you are now new. Whatever you were beforehand, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You, you are now a new creature, a new creation. And that new creation not only has a new identity in Christ, but it also has a purpose. And this is what they talk about in 18 and 19. But before we go into those, uh, there's a lot of reconciling going on. Uh, reconciliation, reconcile, reconciled, reconciling. Uh, so what does reconcile mean? Um, we need to define that before we can really understand what's going on here. So to reconcile means to restore friendly relations between. Okay, so I'm going to read 18 and 19 again with that in mind. Okay. So 18, all this is from God, who through Christ restored friendly relations between us and himself and gave us the ministry of restoring the world to right standing with God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What it's talking about here is that whenever you think about Jesus, whenever you think about what he did on the earth, his purpose, his goal was to bring the world and God 
back into friendly relations between each other. And as this new creature, as this new creation, as a follower of Christ, we are given the ministry of doing the same thing. Our ministry, our mission and goal is to bring the world back into right relationship with God. And the last one I want to focus on is uh, chapter 6, verse 2. I'll just do B because it repeats itself. Uh, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So the early church really understood that whenever you became a Christian, you took on the ministries and teachings of Christ. You couldn't just take his mercies. Uh, They were inseparable. So whenever you became a follower of Christ, you had to take on his ministry and teaching, and you couldn't just accept his salvation. All right, and we see this in the two sacraments, right, which are communion and baptism. They've done it of old. We still do it today, which is good. Uh, So communion and communion, we we take the the bread and we, we take the blood and we remember what God has done for us. The... The term communion itself uh, has an essence of sharing with it, in that we're we're sharing in something, okay? And and typically you could say, well, we're sharing a meal with those around us. But way back when, in about 390 AD, there was a a text that passed around in the church, and it was, excuse me, uh, it was called the Apostles' Creed. And in the Apostles' Creed, all it basically was was, I believe this. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. I believe in this. I believe in this. And one of those things was the communion of saints, uh, which is a little different from our thought of communion, okay? But how they understood it was that whenever they come and take communion, they're not only sharing in the meal with theirs immediately around them, the believers immediately around them, but also with the generations of believers that have predated them, that for the martyrs and the church fathers that predated them, they are now taking a part in something that they were also a part of. So whenever you, you come to communion, which we are going to do later today, like we do every week, uh, you can remember what Jesus has done for you, but I, I would also in, encourage you and challenge you to consider that you are a part of Christ's body, that you have a responsibility and role to play in this new mission whenever you are taking it up. And baptism is a lot more clear, right? Baptism, you stand before your believers and the world and say, Jesus is Lord of my life. I do what he tells me. And then you are taken under the water, symbolically going and dying with Christ. You are having the sin that the, the sin and all the, the negative that, that was with you is going down, dying, staying down there, and then you come up a new creature. Whatever was beforehand, it's done. You are now a new creation. You now have a new identity in Christ. Uh, If you'll turn over to Galatians 3, uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29, it reads like so. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, 
then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. Uh, some translations for that, when you're baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Some say clothed in Christ. And I, I just love that imagery. I mean, you, you put him on. You, you, you display him for the world. All right? And what this is saying is if beforehand you were a slave, you are now a follower of Christ. If beforehand you were a chemical engineer, you are now a follower of a Christ. If beforehand you were a father, a mother, a child, a scholar, a student, a road worker, whatever you were beforehand, it doesn't matter. That's done. It's over. You are now a follower of Christ. And as such, that new life that you have received from him defines who you are, shapes the world around you. We're talking about life change instantaneously. And I'll, I'll come back to that. Uh, I love the way that, that Paul talks about it. Uh, in Romans 12, verse 2, that Paul did such a good job. Uh, he says it like this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not conform to this world. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we are called to no longer think like the world thinks. We are called to renew our mind, to think differently. Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but the brain is an amazing organ, okay, in your bottom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maybe some of y'all have it there. No. <laughs> in your body. Body. <laughs> uh, and so I, I've taken the time. Wow. <laughs> yes, y'all are paying attention. That's good. Uh, and if you weren't, you are now. Uh, <laughs> I've taken the opportunity to write down some facts about the brain, all right? So the brain is made up of, of neurons and synapses and fat, all right? It's usually the most fatty portion of your body, which is good, right? Don't have to worry about that. Anyway, um, and what neurons do is they, they, they accept electrical signals and then they release some sort of chemical, okay? And so keep, keep this in mind. This is, what, this is how you do everything that you do. And think, everything that you think is based on all these little neurons and the synapses that, last, that go in between connecting them all. So in your brain, there is about 100,000 miles of blood vessels. Crazy. In your brain, there's about 100 billion neurons and between 1,000 and 10,000 synapses for each neuron. It, it, it's amazing how it works. Uh, your brain has no pain receptors. So I don't know what hurts when you have a headache, but it ain't your brain. Uh, whenever you dream, your brain releases this hormone that effectively paralyzes you so that you don't act out your dreams. Some of those, pretty, pretty neat, right? Uh, there's 12% of people dream in black and white. I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> your sense of smell has the strongest emotional connections. All right, so if you know, if you think about maybe your mom's home and smells associated with it, you will remember that every single time you smell that smell without fail. It's, it's pretty amazing because I don't even think about my smell, but that's like the strongest tie I have to things. Every memory, every thought is the result of these neurons 
that are the, the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of neurons that are interconnected by all these different synapses, and that is what shapes every memory, every thought, every action that you take. Okay? And every time that you recollect, or every time you think a new thought, you just formed a new connection, a new pathway. Your brain is constantly, constantly, constantly changing from the time you're born until you die. And I think this is what we're talking about here. Whenever you talk about renewing your mind, changing the way you think about things, changing the way that you bring in senses and what comes up to your mind whenever it happens, this is what we're talking about. Whenever you place your identity in Jesus, what ends up happening is that all of your thoughts and decisions end up getting marinated, if you will, in, in Jesus. They end up having his flavor. And you don't have to do this. Okay. But if you decide at some point throughout this week, if you see somebody being particularly Jesus-like, if you just want to be like, hmm, you taste like Jesus today. <laughs> that would crack me up. Uh, it, it, would, it would truly, truly make my day. Uh, I'm not going to lie. All right. Whenever you, whenever you put on this identity, what you end up with is a purpose, with a mission, without this overwhelming pressure. Because it's not about you. It's about God. Whenever you put on this identity, what you end up with is joy without regret. Because the old is done. Whatever it, won, whatever it was, it's over. Whenever you put on this identity of Christ, what you get is life without death. Well, how do you know that? Zach? Because it happened. It happened in the life and form of Jesus. The man who died and is now alive. This is exactly what Mike has been talking about. This is the gospel, the good news. That an event in history happened where somebody died and is now alive. And we, whenever we take on that identity, get the opportunity to experience that same life now, in the here and now. What we're talking about is not a, a religion based on works. It's not where you were doing this and now you need to tweak these so you're doing something else. We're talking about a complete life change. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big geek when it comes to musicals. I love them, all right? I get, I get pumped up. I get excited. If you know me, you know it's true. And one of my very favorite ones is Les Miserables, all right? And if you've seen it, you're like, yes, okay? If you haven't seen it, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a short preview of the first 15 minutes of it because it'll change your life. Uh, <laughs> so we have this protagonist, Jean Valjean, and uh, we, we introduce him, and he's in a prison, okay? He's been in a prison for 19 years because he stole some bread to help his dying nephew. And they caught him, and then he tried to run away, and that's why he got such a long sentence. But back then, or in this story, whenever you're in prison, you work, and that's what you do. And most people die in prisons because they're worked to death. And so whenever we pick it up, he's just getting on parole. And so he leaves. He, he ends up working for them, but they have to, he has to show people this paper. So they don't pay him anything, basically, uh, for an entire day's work. But then there's this priest that invites him in, that, that gives him shelter and offers to, to provide for his needs. All right? And it, it kind of it blows his mind. But he ends up stealing some silver, and he runs away. And he's caught by the, by the authorities, and 
they, they bring him back to this priest and they you know, say, we caught him stealing this, this silver. And he says that you gave it to him. And the priest says, that's right. But my friend, you forgot the best part. And he gives him even more silver. And later on in, in the actual musical, I mean, it's just, it's just gorgeous. Um, he, he sings this song about how the only world he's ever known, the only world he's ever been a part of has been turn your heart into stone. Take an eye for an eye. Look out for yourself. This is all he's known, and he's trying to get away from it. He's trying so hard to turn towards good, but he, he, he doesn't think that he can. And yet whenever he doesn't turn, that, that guilt from, from this one priest taking him and calling him a friend is digging at him. He says he's digging at him like a knife. And so he, he comes to this gripping point and he's like, I'm, I'm reaching, but I fall. I'm trying to escape this whirlwind of sin and I can't. And his solution is to throw off himself. Jean Valjean is dead. He's nothing now. Another story's begun. And I think that in the Christian walk, this is a perfect portrayal of what happens to us. Beforehand, whatever we done, whatever we did, whoever we were, it's over. And we assume a new identity in Christ. Is it hard? Yeah, it can be hard. But is it meaningful? Whenever you become a part of Christ, whenever you take on Him and follow Him, you get the ministry of reconciliation. You get to be a part of making the world in right relationship with God. You get to bring help to those that don't have help, hope to the hopeless, needs to those that are in need, and it has eternal significance. There is nothing more meaningful than you will ever do in your entire life. Is it powerful? Whenever you enter into Christ, whenever you take on that identity, you are joining this epic narrative that began at the beginning and ends whenever it ends. It is the story of history. You will never enter into something more grand. And when you come in, you get to play just this little bitty part of it. This little bitty part that produces life change in those around you, in the world around you. Is it powerful? Absolutely. There is nothing more powerful. Is it exciting? I think so. I, I, there is little else in the world that can ever get me more excited than whenever Christ come down and said, you're mine. I'm going to change the world with you. This is what you do. So this week, I want to challenge you that whenever you put on your clothes, hoping you do that at some point every day, okay, I, I want you to think about clothing yourself in Christ as well. To assume Him as your identity and let Him define who you are, what you do, and how you experience the world around you. My second challenge is that every day... You will read Deuteronomy, I know, OT, uh, chapter 10, verse 12 through 22. Uh, I, I can't do it any better justice than, than this guy here. It, it's a very challenging passage, and it's also very inspirational and encouraging. And after I read this, uh, we'll continue with the, the rest of the service. Oh. 
And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for who you are. Um, I ask that we will continue to, to strive to be like you, to be godlike, uh, to remember our mission, to, to remember our purpose and our goal uh, that you have given us, Father. Uh, we love you very much, Lord, in your name. Amen.